This is Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga, recorded at Halepule on beautiful Kauai. Each month we cover topics that can help you find balance in your life through food, good living, and the eight limbs of Raja Yoga. Learn more at halepule.com. And here's the show. Hello everyone, this is Myra and Kelsey with Holly Pule's Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga podcast. Well, you went to Canada and Japan this year and we had great response to your travels. I had a really nice time. I taught workshops and yoga beyond asana and how to work with your intuitive energy and freedom from addictions through Ayurveda and yoga and sustainable yoga asana and a whole lot more on Ayurveda. I met a lot of really wonderful people who are new to yoga and Ayurveda as well as some of the longtime students and practitioners that we have. You also taught a workshop for yoga teachers and cleared up some misconceptions about the use of the hips in certain standing poses. I did, and our listeners can learn more about that on our recent post on our blog, the Library of Self-Healing at hollypulley.com, about Warrior Two. It uses all sustainable principles, which means that you can continue practicing that throughout your life without causing any harm to your body, especially. And I can say that when I first met you, I was having hip pain at a young age, early 20s, from practicing Warrior Two incorrectly, and it made a huge difference. Right. We like to make the body stronger from the asana rather than weaker. Uh, we've also had lovely bok choy from the farm recently, and we've just cut down the first two rows of asparagus and have been enjoying that. The avocado trees are also back in full production, and we've been having a very nice lemon basil to add to our cooking. I hadn't had that before experiencing it here. Yes, it's a really nice one, nice herb. And uh, our tangelos are coming now, too, and they're so juicy. It's a, you have to have a special napkin <laughs> or, or maybe a uh, something special to wear when you're eating them. And then we have some really wonderful news. Our Ayurvedic Health Counselor Certification Program is now available. Yep, that's been a year of focused work for us, and it feels great to have it available to anyone who wants to learn how to counsel others with Ayurveda and anyone who wants to go deeply into this holistic science. I really love how it's designed. When students finish the program, they're ready to consult with clients. Yeah. Totally prepared to work individually, assess, and suggest. It's certainly a rewarding way to live and to offer it in life. Last month, we talked about the senses and how misuse can lead to disease. This month, we'll talk about the kleshas and disease. Let's start with what the kleshas are. So the five kleshas are commonly referred to as the five afflictions. So they are uh, things that happen to us that get in the way. They explain a great deal of what's happening in modern society. They become the obstacles that hold us back in life. And they are ignorance, ego, attachment, avoidance, and fear and particularly the fear of death. The first, ignorance, may be just not knowing about something, such as not knowing that one can lead a more natural life by following Ayurveda. Or it may be illusion. 
but the ignorance of who we are as eternal spirit is most important because this is what leads us to the increase of ego, also called ahamkara in Sanskrit. And the ego will build as we age if we don't allow ourselves to be challenged, to do new things and grow. You know, the ego grows further with what's called rag or our attachments and addictions. And dvesha is a Sanskrit word for avoidance. Then that gets reflected in fears of various types, which all come from the fear of death. All of those attachment, addiction, and avoidance seem to be prevalent in society these days. That's why we wanted to talk about them. Many people are stepping out of that ignorance and delusion and coming to realize how imprisoned they are, especially by their attachments and aversions and fears. What do you mean by stepping out of the ignorance and delusion? Can you give an example of that? Realizing that going for short-term pleasure doesn't bring long-term joy or happiness. That's really the main thing. It seems that many clients we work with have struggles with some or all of the clashes. Many do, and some are aware of it and some are not. And it increases with behaviors that are based in fear, and that leads to anxiety and depression and others. I personally have tended to make fear-based decisions around airline tickets. Something about purchasing a ticket would put me into fear and I would make choices on that foundation that would then result in financial repercussions later on. I just purchased a flight to India and made a fear-based decision to pay for the trip insurance. So I got to back up in the process and change it right away before having financial results, which also helped shift the energy from attracting my fears of an interrupted flight to just allowing a smooth and easy travel process. And it, it feels much more relaxed to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. I remember how you would book in fear and then change the ticket and then you'd have financial consequences that would put you into anxiety and then regret at the financial loss. And that's the devasha or the avoidance that creates suffering in us. So the klesha of attachment or addiction, it expresses itself in a variety of ways. These days, sugar addiction, the inability to stop looking at Facebook or put down the cell phone, shopping for more and more clothing or spending more money than one earns, creating constant pressure from debt, and also alcoholism and drug addiction. And these are really just a few examples. Those are all things that cultivate disconnection from ourselves as eternal spirit. As I mentioned, we have a teacher training group right now that is in the process of repairing that conscious connection. And it's really a beautiful thing to witness. They just took a big step with that this week. When the kleshas are present, then there's suffering, which is dukkha in Sanskrit. And that suffering is both mental and physical. And dukkha can be minimized or eliminated with the practices of Ayurveda and yoga so that we can cultivate more sukha or the sweetness in life. Visitors have come and gone from Pale Pule and Durga Farms over the years. And those who come to work trade at Durga Farms are sometimes not that willing to let go of addictions and food is the most prominent. They want what they want when they want it and think that means freedom. And a lot of them are particularly attached to snacking or eating continuously throughout the day. But along with that, they usually cannot say no to those things when they may not want to consume them or engage in them. 
I think of how you teach us that true freedom is the ability to say yes when you want to say yes and no when you want to say no. For example, we've had some people who had such a strong attachment to eating all day that they had to leave. These people came to work with us because they wanted to learn about farming and they wanted to experience the practices of Ayurveda and yoga, including how to become healthier. Yet they were unable to get beyond the attachment to the certain foods at certain times and left something that they really wanted because they gave in to the attachment to those substances. So we've had people share that they realized essentially that they made a compulsive rash decision. The attachments of the mind are powerful, but with gentle persistence and determination in moving toward our spirit and, and moving toward ourselves, any attachment or any of the clashes for that matter can be overcome. We've had many clients who are ready to be free in life to take the suggestions we offer and turn in a new direction. Recently we had someone who was attached to vapor, which is a chemical replacement for smoking, and also daily enemas. The use of vapor is delusion, thinking she was free from the shackles of smoking, but actually very dependent on the vapor. The daily enemas stemmed from aversion to being constipated over many years, and it was actually causing more problems as she went on with them. So she's now replacing those with healthy practices that promote balance and spiritual connection, and recently wrote that she is feeling so much better. Yeah, many clients aren't interested in learning every detail of Ayurveda or yoga, but they do want to know what they need to do to experience relief from symptoms. This often relates to stopping the use of addictive substances or using substances to avoid things or to avoid feelings in particular. So helping them to recognize how poorly they're treating themselves is one of the keys. The largest changes come through how and what they eat and their daily living practices. I also gradually and gently encourage them to face the fears they've been avoiding and the tools of Ayurveda and yoga can help with that. There's so much conflicting information about what is healthy that I can see how easy it is to be confused. People really want to do the right thing, but so much of it contradicts what else is out there. It seems insane trying to figure out what to listen to. Complicating life stems from another ecclesia, ego, or the conditioned mind that creates separation from others. You know, I'm special, I'm different. Ayurveda and yoga teach us to align with nature, which is actually a process of simplifying life and reducing ego. They offer tools that clarify our path and support us in our journey. Actions that turn us away from the kleshas will actually cultivate true freedom from my experience. What about those people who insist that freedom is being able to eat whatever they want, whenever they want it? That thinking comes from misunderstanding that the stuff on the outside of life will make us happy and that there are also no consequences from our actions. We've been trained away from making the connection between what we do and the results we get. The law of cause and effect. Action and results. Most people don't realize that how and what they eat constitutes their main medicine or their primary destruction of their health. For example, overeating in one sitting is destructive to our agni, our digestive fire, 
which affects all of the following meals until it's strengthened again. And it doesn't matter how good the food is in those meals. This is also true for eating and going to bed or eating again before the previous food eaten has digested fully. Ayurveda and yoga ask us to be self-responsible by making the connections between what we do and the results we get, physically and mentally. This is our direct experience. And that connection leads us to self-respect and empowerment. What is the most important point to look at in terms of how the kleshas affect us? Well, they affect our ability to be in relationship with ourselves and with others. And when we're deep in the kleshas, we feel disconnected, separated, and we miss the sweetness in life. Day-to-day -day life becomes something to endure under the delusion of getting to some end point that seems like it's going to make us happy. Some people, though well-informed about Ayurveda and yoga, continue to take actions that are harmful to themselves. For example, I had a challenging time stopping cell phone use while lying in my bed, even though I knew it was negatively influencing my sleep. And many clients say they don't feel good about what and how they eat, yet they have continued the same behaviors for years. And even in between consultations, they'll have setbacks. So what's going on here? It's possible if they're practitioners that the approach to their practices lack a spiritual foundation that cultivates sattva. Could you remind our listeners what sattva is? Sattva is balance and harmony. It's what takes us toward the light. If you think in sort of a continuum with tamas, which is inertia and darkness, and rajas, which is activity, but too much leads to disturbance. So these three aspects are all present in everything in nature and within us, including our mind. With an appropriate amount of rajas, or activity, we can easily move towards sattva, the right kind of activity, a balanced place where we're happy. And when there's too much rajas, too much activity, then we start to slide into tamas, falling into things like exhaustion, discontent, and depression. So there's a spiritual component that's necessary for our true health and to sustain our movement in the direction of sattva. And this is a significant component of Ayurveda as well as yoga. That has been what has made a big difference for me, focusing on cultivating sattva. Anything else is tamas or rajas, which will eventually lead to tamas if you don't keep it pointed towards sattva. It seems that many practitioners or Ayurvedic counselors today speak only in terms of the doshas. One of our guests recently asked about garlic. We talked about the overly stimulating effect it has on the mind as one of the reasons we don't consume it, and her comment was, well, if someone is dull, then they could use garlic to stimulate and energize them, right? So that idea of using opposite qualities to bring balance was correct, however not the solution for dullness since garlic also irritates the digestive tract. Right. Eliminating the cause of the dullness is the first step. Without consideration of the mahagunas of tamas, rajas, and sattva, I can see how that would seem like a good idea. But when you understand that the garlic increases rajas, leading to tamas in any large amounts, then you know in any significant amount it would take you away from balance rather than toward it. 
for our health, we need to balance the doshas and agni. But without consideration for the mahagunas and the conscious cultivation of sattva, most people remain caught up in a vicious cycle with the kleshas. Too much rajas leading into tamas. So the more we can turn away from tamasic activities such as watching television, overeating and gossiping, and have moderate amounts of rajas or activity, then the greater opportunity we have to free ourselves from the kleshas. That's exactly it. Because the kleshas strongly limit our capacity to heal. But it does mean choosing activities that move us in the direction of sattva. And that first step can be challenging. The kleshas are present when there's a lack of spiritual connection. In particular, attachment, addiction, and aversion have a part. When clients, for example, try to do all the things right and even have some great results, and they're unable to stick with it over a period of time. And then they say things like, I tried to do so many good things and then I was bad for a while. Or, it seems like I can never get it right. Or, I fell off for a while. What I love about Ayurveda is that it is truly holistic. We address the whole being, including the body, mind, and spirit. I had personal experience with some other alternative healing modalities, and nothing was as complete as the sattvic approach I learned through you. And I think a lot of that was because you integrate the yogic teachings into your Ayurvedic practice. Ayurveda and yoga are meant to be practiced together, and when they are, the benefits are exponential. And I'm not talking about asana practice, postures but rather the essence of yoga, the union of the body, mind, and spirit. The effect of addictive behaviors and thoughts on the individual and society as a whole is really crippling. Dukkha, or suffering, is the result and when we're in the throes of addiction. It affects all of the individual and those around them as well. It affects our relationships, our work, our health, our finances, and our physical and mental health. And most importantly, there's disconnection from our spiritual self. Let's talk about each of the kleshas in a little more depth. Well, avijja is ignorance or illusion. Babies are more connected and remember who they are as spirit. We start programming it out of them with our fears and our conditioning right from the beginning. However, still deep within us is the knowing of our truth. If mom and dad have this connection within themselves, it will assist the baby to maintain and develop it. The more we are trained, as children especially, to focus outside, pleasing others or performing, for example, the more disconnect is promoted on the inside and we begin to incorrectly identify with the chatter of our mind and the physical body. That leads to more disconnection. And then the mind seeks connection externally in harmful behaviors with substances, with things, and with people. And in this separation and ignorance, the mind becomes selfish and ego-bound, and it's, it becomes limited and often isolated. Well, that sounds miserable. <laughs> then we increase our reliance on others for validation, as an example. The ignorance being that we only feel valuable when we receive outside validation? Right. As well as using the internet, food, substances, or another person for fulfillment, isolating, doubting our abilities, 
doing excessively to try to earn a place in life, negative and punishing self-talk, judging ourselves and others, and generally holding back in life. Those are things that many people just attribute to how they are or their personality. Personality can change and transform. This is the spiritual growth that comes with practicing Ayurveda and yoga. It's only the spirit that is unchanging. Everything else is changing all of the time. It's just a matter of how quickly or how slowly. Mm. Let's talk about ego, something that is gradually causing less havoc in my own life, for which I am truly, truly grateful. <laughs> when we experience ourselves as separate from others, then we give more power to the ego. And the ego defends itself so that it can stay special and separate and likes to be right. And then it continues destructive behaviors and thoughts in that intense desire to feel right. You know, we need some ego to function in life. In yoga, we often talk about just shaving the sharp edges off as a starting point. One of our past teacher training students called you the ego buster <laughs> one time. <laughs> I heard something earlier this year that was along the lines of, if you have to explain, justify, or defend, you're likely wrong. I experimented with that and realized that in my experience it was definitely true. And it was ego deflating to have to hold back from that justifying, defending, or explaining. It seemed painful in the moment, but wow, learning how to turn away from a flaring ego has enhanced my life and relationships so much. I was asked years ago, would you rather be right or happy? And that has stuck with me and I share it with others often. Our ego grows with our external reference to people and things and substances, to our behaviors and our experiences. You know, using something outside for relief only makes matters worse. Growing ego narrows our human experience because it has that desire for self-preservation and the need to feel right. You know, and I've, I've found myself, and I'd like to say it never happens anymore, but it does happen sometimes, you know, where I, I'm defending something that is just pure ego, you know, wanting to be right. So it's really nice, you know, when we can stop, even mid-sentence and find a new place. Mm, I can see how the defending ego can then lead to black and white thinking and rigidness. Yeah, and that's not only limiting, but it feeds that cycle of addiction and aversion. And addiction is definitely not sattvic. No. But the mind is naturally sattvic, although it's not the norm with most people today. The natural intention of the mind is to reduce distortion and disturbance in order to have connection and meaning in life. However, when the mind is caught up in, in attachment and addiction or aversion, it's not capable of balanced pursuit. And imbalanced pursuit only worsens the disturbances in the mind. People caught up in this often have strong reactions in life to try to avoid pain, discomfort, or sadness, for example. Are addiction and aversion usually linked? Often. And the attachment is in the avoidance of the pain. But consider that the reality is the pain of looking away from the truth of our spiritual nature. 
I see through our work with clients that many people are suffering with addiction and aversion in poor living and eating. Many are. And then we have the honor of working with clients who are ready for some solution and to feel better in life. Each of us has to hit the bottom to make the turn to change. And for some people, that bottom doesn't look so bad. And for other people, there's a lot more suffering. In my personal experience, the process of actually turning away from or disengaging in addictive tendencies, binge eating or under eating are examples, has felt, again, horribly painful at times. But getting past that is like being able to breathe again when I didn't even know I had stopped. Yep. The attached or addicted mind incorrectly perceives that an activity or a person or a substance or an idea is an effective solution to a spiritual longing. The mind attaches to that substance or person and then a harmful habit is formed. And these days that habit or dependence might include the internet, sex, eating, shopping, video gaming, extreme sports, gambling, sugar, codependency, caffeine, and among other things. Now, what about the fifth klesha, abhinivesha? Ah, the fear of death that underlies all of our actions when we're without spiritual connection. Is the fear of death at the root of all fears? It is. Well, let's take a short break and be back in a minute. Ayurveda is a true holistic practice that addresses all aspects of health, mind, body, and spirit. It offers guidance around proper diet, daily routines, and lifestyle that have led to powerful transformations for people throughout the ages. Ayurvedic counselors have been supporting people to live to their fullest state of health for centuries by focusing on each individual's unique physical, mental, and spiritual needs. Our 400-hour Ayurvedic Health Counselor Certification Program starts by building a foundation for you as an individual to live according to Ayurvedic principles the first step to becoming an effective counselor. As the course progresses, you'll learn how to support others in their journeys to health through diet and lifestyle changes. This certification program is excellent for anyone with a desire to gain a deep understanding of the principles of Ayurveda and how to use the science of life to support spiritual, physical, and psychological health in others. If you have been studying Ayurveda, yoga, meditation, or other related holistic health practices, becoming an Ayurvedic health counselor will allow you to go beyond your current limits in how you work with clients and students. Send us your questions at hashtag AskHalePule, that's hashtag Ask, H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E, -E, on Facebook and Twitter. We're back. We've been talking about the kleshas, and you mentioned that they lead to disease. Can you elaborate on that? Ayurvedic texts refer to prajna parada, or the crimes against wisdom, it's sometimes translated as. Our forgetting that our true nature is eternal spirit is at the basis of this. A result of too much activity leading to disturbance, which has us sink into tamas, and the kleshas then lead us to misuse of the indriyas, they're called, or the senses. 
Which is the main cause of disease. It is. Or I should say a main cause of disease. Right. Misuse of the senses leads us to the loss of the ability to discriminate in life, meaning to make healthy choices that are in our best interest. The resulting actions lead us deeper into the kleshas and more misuse of the senses, which leads to doshic imbalance, resulting in the mental and physical problems that feed the kleshas. Then you consider that the effects of each of the planets at various times of life will influence the degree of inward and outward orientation of an individual, which will affect the balance of the doshas, and the ability to muster up the courage and stamina to step out of the kleshas. If you're familiar with Jyotish, or Vedic astrology it's called, the planets of Rahu and Ketu, which are the north and south nodes of the moon, are particularly influential in Rag and Dvesha. We talked about how the use of the senses is related to disease in our last episode, but I always appreciate a reminder of how we misuse them. Because I became accustomed to misusing mine to the point where it was normal and did not seem problematic or notable to me. I have had some big denial going on around this throughout my life. Sure. It's uncommon in modern culture to think about our senses and what we're doing with them. But it's how we use our sight, our sound, our taste, our touch, and our smell. How we misuse our senses then. Sight, watching violence in movies, computer and TV, video games, browsing social media, excessive use of sunglasses and in the fear of sunlight, excessive use of electronics, watching electronic screens in the dark. This is also harmful to our sight. Our sound, our hearing, exposure to loud noises and music, loud movies, constant sound, listening to gossip that's still participating, and any negative talking. Taste. Consuming very cold or hot drink and food. Overeating in one sitting. Strong and pungent foods and drinks that numb the taste buds. Consuming any chemical products. Eating in loud environments or when we're upset. Talking too much while we're eating. And smoking. Our sense of touch through our skin. We misuse it by being without human contact or with constant pawing and petting and touching. Chemicals on the skin, such as sunscreen, even the so-called natural stuff. And then our sense of smell. Chemical scents in perfumes and cleaning products and makeup and hair products. And then not properly cleaning our nasal passages regularly using the nose for recreational drugs, smoking, and then exposure to environmental pollutants. So these are all things that misuse our senses. That's quite a list. But I guess the suffering that is created by those actions drives us to acknowledge that there is an imbalance and provides inspiration to make a change. An important aspect to remember is that excess rajas leads to tamas resulting in not enough sattva in the mind, and that perpetuates the kleshas, which has us make choices that are harmful to ourselves and possibly others.
our karmas, meaning the things that we came into this life to move beyond, the environment of our birth and childhood and the choices that we make each day in life all have an effect on the amount of sattva, rajas, and tamas present in our mind and body at any point in time. So if we reducing rajasic activities allows us to cultivate balance and harmony that comes with sattva. And it can be done a little bit at a time. And then that reduces the rajas and the tamas. And this is what clears a path to wellness on all levels, mental, physical, spiritual, and increasing our connection to the God of our heart or our higher self. And this frees us from the bondage of the kleshas, ignorance, ego, addiction, aversion, and the fear of death. Raja Yoga, which we teach at our retreats and yoga teacher trainings, provides clients and students an opportunity to become more aware of their mind and the thought patterns that reinforce the kleshas. And then they learn how to enhance and refine the mind away from those old patterns. Which then moves them beyond that state of ignorance or illusion. And from there, they learn to use the mind and the body as sacred tools for the joy of living and freedom. How about moving beyond ego? Well, practicing selfless service and non-attachment to feelings can reduce the ego. Selfless service is often a foreign phrase to people. It means we choose to do something for another, something that's needed, without attachment to their response. When I was stuck in the clashes, I was so focused on my own agenda I never wanted to be of service to others because I was too busy being selfish. But the more I stepped out of that selfishness and did something of service anyway, the better I felt. In the moment of service, it felt good. And then that became more natural and more desirable to me. That notion of service takes us out of that negative thinking that can go on in our head. And it feels good, like you said. We have to be sure not to mistake service meaning we have to run around doing things for other people all the time and not take care of ourselves. So we're not talking about that. But we are talking about seeing an opportunity where something is needed and just and doing something. What about moving beyond addiction, aversion, and fear of death? The practices aim at spiritual connection and restoring the remembrance of our true nature through reducing rajas and tamas and increasing sattva. Practices such as the yamas and niyamas, or the ethical principles in yoga, the asana, the postures, pranayama, breath control, pratyahara, where we learn how to work with the senses actively, meditation at its various levels, karma yoga, or that selfless service we were speaking of, bhakti yoga, and devotion. And also yagya, which means a sacrifice or an offering, such as in a fire ceremony. The healing process requires what's called abhyasa, or cultivating a peaceful mind through being persistent, giving our full attention, being determined, having faith and consistency, patience and devotion over a long period of time. 
Patanjali in the Yoga Sutra says that to have a steady practice requires vairagya, or non-attachment, to overcome that restless and attached mind. And the mind needs training with these practices, as it really otherwise will tend to drift into tamas. Becoming familiar with the qualities of the mahagunas of sattva, rajas, and tamas helps as well because it opens the door to see the effect of our choices. Clients can do this with our state of health, getting started with Ayurveda course, or can look on our website in the Eating for Balance section under the Ayurveda drop-down where we list foods by sattva, rajas, and tamas. Ideally, we'd reduce our tamas to primarily sleep, and we'd reduce rajas so that the activity in our lives is focused and it's moderate, and that it feels good, and then the flow of prana, our life force, is restored within us. So that could look like choosing to listen to calming, gentle music, or chanting mantra, rather than listening to stimulating and aggravating music, or choosing not to watch violence. That's right. As well as minimizing or eliminating agitating foods and spices, strong things like garlic and chili peppers and onions, Again, a tiny amount of those here and there, perhaps so, depending on the individual's constitution and balances or imbalance. But having sattvic foods instead, you know, when we allow our sense of taste to be restored to its subtle nature, then we really don't want those very strong things. There are many ways we can adjust the diet, the lifestyle, and the daily routine to cultivate sattva. This is what we do with clients in health consultations. As part of that, we look at strengthening digestion, or agni, so that we can increase our vitality by balancing the doshas as well. A greater sense of self, a better attitude, and faster healing comes from the improved flow of prana, or life force, in us. This is what enhances the effectiveness of the herbal medicines and the treatments that we offer. Balancing the doshas with diet and lifestyle combined with appropriate asana practices or postures, pranayama, meditation, this all prompts our movement toward balanced living and toward freedom. Small practices to bring myself into the present and step out of my thinking throughout the day have been helpful to me. The practice of taking pause three times a day is great for this. You can set an alarm, pause what you're doing, and take 12 slow, conscious, deep breaths. Smile to yourself, and then go on with your day. And if you actually do this, it makes an incredible difference. Doing small things to come present increases our ability to be self-responsible. It increases our self-confidence rather than our relying on external factors for a quick fix to try to feel better. It's so important to understand the connection between our actions and the results that we experience. This awareness of the consequences of actions is a big step for many people, and it brings healing on many levels. It certainly did for me. So there's many people still steeped in the kleshas to some degree, and I like to remind people that there are many people stepping out of that, many people doing things differently, 
and walking a, mm, a more spiritually connected path. But Myra, what motivating words do you have to share about overcoming the glaciers? Moving beyond the glaciers provides clarity. It helps us to have certainty in our lives, to have a sense of freedom and empowerment. When the solution includes some kind of authentic sadhana, we call it, or some kind of spiritual practice, and there's not just one kind, there are so many, but when it comes from the heart, we experience the healing and the love that's our birthright, moment by moment, each day. And then we can move beyond the fear of the pain that we've been carrying. The practices of Ayurveda and yoga are not an excuse to escape or deny our day-to-day -day reality or to create some rigid little world, but rather to transform our day-to-day -day life into a beautiful experience. You've heard the expression, to create heaven on earth. We can do that. Thank you so much for that discussion. It's amazing that we have the tools to heal and expand in consciousness. And that's all that we have time for today. Thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to work with us to determine the best approach to bring balance, we offer consultations in person and by phone, Skype, or FaceTime. Aloha. Thanks so much for listening to Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga. Don't forget, if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, just submit your question on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag AskHalePule. That's H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E. And if you want to go deeper on your own path toward health, book a consultation at HalePule.com. In Ayurveda, we understand that we each have a unique constitution. Halipule's tridoshic approach is ideal for families and supports multiple constitutions. You can cultivate sattva in cooking, knowing that you're making meals that support everyone's constitution. Subtle adjustments may be required, but it doesn't need to be a stress point. To learn our tridoshic approach to create nourishing meals, Join simple Ayurvedic cooking with Halepule. The recipes are easy, delicious, and will leave you feeling energized. And the link to join is in our show notes.